Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, what's up? I'm Harry Romero and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast hosted by me, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're all missing that sense of community that the dance floor can bring us. So we at House Culture are absolutely delighted to be able to bring a little bit of the club directly into your world. This is the first time you've tuned into the podcast. First of all, welcome. And second of all, please make sure you have a dig through our back catalogue of episodes, which feature interviews with the likes of Fatboy Slim, Danny Rampling, The Scum Frog, Ashley Beadle, Smoking Joe and many more. Even if you don't recognise the name, I guarantee you they have a fascinating story to tell. And if you've only just stumbled across House Culture and want to get to know us a little better, as I always say, we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Instagram is where the party happens and you can find us there at housecultureNet. Follow that and you'll get a daily dose of all things related to this scene we know and love. Let's get on with this next episode, shall we? In this one, we chat to the man behind one of the most enduring house records of all time, Tanya, a man who is as comfortable behind the decks as he is the production desk, superstar DJ and head honcho of Bambossa Records, it's Harry Romero. Now we caught up with Harry as he had literally just stepped off a plane to play a gig in London back in February, so some of this chat is in a pre-lockdown context, however we cover his whole career in music, including how a track produced by Todd Terry had a massive impact on him. That's the bridge from hip-hop to house music, is freestyle music. People like Todd Terry were sampling breaks from the freestyle records. You know, later find out he's sampling a lot of stuff from Chicago, and that's where Bango comes in. And when I heard Bango, I said, this changed my life, man. Who inspired him in those early years? Start 93, I'm going every Wednesday to Sound Factory Bar in New York to hear Louis Vega DJ. That was seminal in my career, man, because that... Again, that opened another box, if you will, in my brain. What it took for him to become a great producer and DJ, 
I caught the bug. I just literally came home and just spent hours in front of the sampler and spending three hours and all the money you earn from your little job buying records. You just, it's your life. And what his first experience of playing in the UK was like. I was playing the Ministry of Sound in London. To hear about it and to be in the booth with the power of that system and the people in front of you was life-changing, man. So get your passport ready as we're about to make our way over to New Jersey to hang out with possibly one of the coolest cats I've ever met. This is Harry Romero. House Culture. Hi, Harry. Hello. It's an absolute honour to have you on the House Culture podcast. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for fitness into your busy schedule ahead of your London gig tonight. Yes, looking forward to that. Good. Um, you're obviously famous all over the world as a DJ and producer, mm. someone who stayed true to the original spirit and sound of house music. Uh, but we always want to start at the very beginning. Okay. Can you tell us about your experiences with music kind of growing up in New Jersey? Well, music was a big part of my, my home. Um, being Latin American, there was always music playing in the house, always, constantly, nonstop. Um, so there was always Colombian traditional music like cumbia and it's always salsa and merengue playing. Um, but what what really kind of opened my my brain to, to different styles of music was my father. My father, I always call him the original DJ. So at a young age, like he worked all week. On Sundays, he would just listen to music. He had a stereo system at home. And um, he'd always ask, I'm one of three, so he'd ask my sister, my brother, and me to come listen. But they were, they they really didn't show any interest. I was the only one that sat there. And he would play everything, Frank Sinatra, he'd play classical music, he'd play jazz. He'd play, you know, more Caribbean music, South American music. And he would explain to me, oh, this is so-and-so, this guy wrote this. And so it was a really, it was a really good foundation for me musically. In terms of, it wasn't just one style of music, it was everything. Yeah, a real education. A, a su- really, really super education. And then, you know, that kind of set the groundwork. But then what really, you know, as, as a more into pop music was hip-hop. At the time, we had DJs like Red Alert. And we had um, guys playing disco. I remember on KTU Paco, he would play a lot of disco and that's what we really listened to outside of what my father was playing, my brother and I. And that kind of, you know, when you kind of come into your own and you start discovering girls and this and that, that was the kind of music. And breakdancing was really big at the time, too. So in that particular area where I grew up in New Jersey, in the tri-state area, what we call it, if you're a Latin kid, you were into hip-hop. That's just the way it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we loved it. So we'd tape record, him on, we'd tape record the DJs on Saturday night. And Sunday, we'd get the boombox and walk around and listen to, you know, the, the, the previous night's recordings. Yeah. And that's kind of really the foundation of my music. And what was your, so if that was the foundation and kind of like hip-hop and, and everything else that your father was listening to, what was your first exposure to house music? My first exposure to house music, so, so fast, I mean, rewind a little bit. So after the hip-hop thing, in, in where we're from, there was a style of music called Latin hip-hop which later they changed the name to freestyle music. So it was music based on like um, break, it was like break beats, beats with kind of keyboards on top, electro-ish, very electro-ish. 
and you had singers like like Naobi, um, Cynthia, uh, Coro, Johnny O, um, all kinds of they were all they were like strictly mostly Puerto Rican, like singers, songwriters, this and that. So for us, it was like really really cool because it was like our music you know what I'm saying as a Latin kid and that was kind of the bridge and, I, and I've said this before that's the bridge from hip hop to house music is freestyle music because yeah. then the likes of people like Todd Terry were sampling some of them breaks from the freestyle records and then you know later find out he's sampling a lot of stuff from Chicago and that's where Bango comes in. And when I heard Bango, I said, this fucking guy just changed my life, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I tell him all the time, I'm like, Todd, you fucked me up, bro. Can I curse on this? Of course you can. Oh. So I'm like, you ruined my life. And he laughs about it. Todd's a good buddy of mine. So, How so, incredible is that, that you've actually like gone from him delivering that tune to your ears at a young age? And yeah. You kind of, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But yeah, no, so rewind to Bango. So I heard that, and it was like nothing I've ever heard in my life. It had the rough you know, the tough hip-hop beats of, of New York. Yeah. And it had just the some of the samples that were being used in freestyle music. It was just, it was astounding to me. Yeah. And it was like nothing I've heard. It was like, you know, like, you know when you open Pandora's box? So that opened Pandora's box yeah. for me. And, you know, as, he, as years went on, a year or two went on, I started realizing what he had done. He had taken a lot of the old Chicago stuff and just put it with the New York sensibility. So then I, I, I backtraced to Chicago and I discovered a lot of the old Chicago records, like, you know, labels like, artists like Adonis and, you know, uh, I don't know, you, you name them. Oh, Kevin Saunders. Uh, yeah, yeah, all that yeah, stuff, yeah. man. So it was really cool. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Yeah, I, I think that's a real thing, like a through line in dance music, no matter what era you're looking at, it's always that you hear something and then you actually understand that there's a sample there and you go back and you discover all this other stuff that is really good as well. And I still do it to this day. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of times I'll hear an old hip-hop record. I'm like, what sample was that? And now we have the internet. You just go, who sampled what? Or who sampled who? And you figure everything out. Yeah. But it's really cool, man. It's 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 a way... For those that care, because a lot of people don't care. I, for me, I'm like, yo, I got to know how the hell they... You know, what made them pick that particular section? And then you, in doing so, you find other sections and you take it for yourself, yeah. do your thing. And it goes just a rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. It's on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, for it's, sure. So, like, you, when you were talking about Todd Terry and making that tune, obviously he's pulling in all these influences and all of, like, yeah. a real melting pot and creating something new. Yeah, yeah. Was that a point for you where you were like, okay, I want to create something myself? Or were you leaning towards being a DJ? Or, or were you having clubbing experiences and just having fun at that time? So, I, I wasn't, I don't have that story like, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, you know, I was at the Paradise Garage when I was 12 and this, I, that's not my story. Yeah. You know, my story is very Jersey. You know, I started DJing in Jersey clubs. I didn't start going into New York to DJ till the early 90s. So, what was the question? <laughs> just went. Yeah, so um, <laughs> what, what was your sensibility first? Were you a DJ first? Okay, so I, I was, so... Uh, there was a point to that, but I forgot. Anyway, we'll come back to that. So I was definitely a DJ first, right? And then I said, I want to try and make this stuff. You know, a couple friends with my keyboards here and their samplers, and I'd hear them, you know, fiddling around with it. And I didn't really like what they were doing. I never said anything, but in my mind, I'm like, I can make it so much better than this. So then I, I you know, I would sample my own things. 
and my mom, my parents gave me money to buy my first keyboard sampler. God bless them. They're still with me, thank God. And um, I just started experimenting. So it went from DJing from like 87, 88, all the way until 92, 93 when I got my first keyboard. So start 93, I'm going every Wednesday to Sound Factory Bar in New York to hear Masters at, to hear Louis Vega DJ. Yeah. That was seminal in my career, man, because that, again, that opened another box, if you will, in my brain. And I heard tracks like, you know, the New York and So the Nervous track and just feeling the music. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. So I caught the bug. And I remember at the time I was going to Rutgers University. Actually, probably not. I was probably going to community college first, and then I transferred to Rutgers. Anyway, I would come home. Didn't fucking do my homework. I didn't do none of that. I just literally came home and just spent hours in front of the sampler and creating these grooves and just keep going until... It, it's almost like riding a bike until you just figure out how to balance yourself on a bike. And then you just keep moving forward and learning and going out and learning and going to the record store instead of class and spending three hours and all the money you earn from your little job buying records. You just, it's your life. Yeah. It was your homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why it took me seven years to get my undergrad. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a podcast for another day though. So yeah, so it became my life. It really, truly did. So, obviously, you mentioned Louis Vega there. Were there any other influences you were kind of pointing you in the direction of where you wanted to go with what you were doing? It was Louis. Yeah. It was Louis. And, you know, if, if we use Louis, then there's Kenny, then there's Todd, which were, that was it for me. I, I, I didn't look further, you know, as far as production because I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because they're from my, you know, we're from the general same area. Our sensibility to music was very similar, and I just love what they did, yeah. especially the drums. I'm a drum guy. Yeah. So what Kenny was doing on the SP1200 and the early Akai NPCs was just astounding. It was unbelievable, man. And I kind of wanted to emulate that. And then I discovered Derek Carter. His sense of rhythm, I can't even describe it. I can't. It's just... It's this weird, wobbly thing that just works in a real jazzy kind of patchy thing. And, you know, the early part of my production career, I was trying to create Derek Carter tracks. But in doing so, I created my own sound, which is funny in and of itself. You know, I tend to look at things very humorously. (laughs) (laughs) So I've yet to figure out how to make a Derek Carter track, but I'm going to keep trying. And by me trying, I'm just creating more music. It's unbelievable Yeah, how simple the inspiration is. Yeah. And I know I'm not never going to achieve what he's done because he's him. And, he, you know, we all have our internal metronome, if you will. We all have our beat grid. We all sense rhythm differently. But I just find it inspirational. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what was, like, what was your first big break when you actually created something in your, in your mind and you were like, Wow, this is this is really something that I've done here that I need to get out there. That's an interesting question because I mean I could cite the first two tracks I got signed, but yeah. hearing back, I'm like, Ugh, it's cringy. <laughs> is <laughs> you that know, the sulfuric? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's those that came out on Strictly Rhythm, and another one that came out I think on DJ Duke's label, Sex Mania or Power Music. He had yeah. this that was both of his labels. I don't remember which it came out on. Yeah. But for me, I feel like. If there's a one of those tracks that kind of 
took me over the hump would have been either Tanya or Mongo Bonix. That's yeah. kind of when I feel like I arrived, if yeah. you will, in quotes. Yeah. I'm, you know, you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes. Um, it's something that clicked. Another box that opened, and, you know, there's no going back. Yeah. It's like your, your ears adjusted. My ears adjusted in a certain way. And I guess I spent so many hours in the producer's chair that it was inevitable. You know, I, I'm a slave to my craft. And I really... I take that seriously. I take my craft very, very serious. And having fun is number one. But also taking myself out of my comfort zone. And that track took me out of my comfort zone. Why? Because there weren't a lot of tracks in the production, especially Tanya. Yeah. There was maybe six or seven. Prior to that, I had to have my console. I had a 32-channel console. Every fader had to be up. And in this particular track, it was, it was, it was a less is more thing, and it was a lesson that I that I learned you know what I mean yeah. and um, just the simplicity of the track yeah I mean sometimes restricting yourself or having restrictions the best creative 100% especially when you're young yeah. or when you're new to something because sometimes it, most of the times it's possible to have too many possibilities and you just fucking go you're just going in crazy different directions <laughs> so as long as you're aware of it going in, in those directions it could be a good thing but as long as you're aware that you're going down a rabbit hole and you're cool with it because along the way you're going to learn something you know what I mean yeah but this was one of those things where I was very conscious of the fact that I wanted to keep it minimal yeah exhausting the content you know what I mean mm-hmm. and it's because it's so minimal it's almost <laughs> understated but it has become like an almost classic standard I can't believe yeah. like the longevity that that track has had it's I think I made that track in 99 yeah wow it, it it does surprise me, you know. You don't think long term, you know what I mean. You don't think that you're going to be hearing the song, to, you know, two decades later. Yeah. So it's great. It's definitely a blessing, I and mean, testament to to my dedication and and my my work ethic. So, what are your memories of that when it first kind of came about? Like you said, you realized that you had arrived. Did you did you play it out yourself, or did you hear someone play it and saw the reaction? The phone call I got from from because at the time. The phone call I got at the time, my label was under Subliminal Records. And I remember I called. I'm like, hey, what are the pre-sales? And they're like, hold on one second. And they came back. They're like, you're not going to believe this. Pre-sales are over 10,000 units. I'm like, are you serious? Sure enough. And then the snowball effect. Then the publishing deal came. And then the record just took off, man. Because at the time, I wanted to put that out with Mongo, with, um, with, a. Uh, the guitar one. Oh, Night of the Black. I wanted to put that out as an EP with Night of the Black. So Tanya on one side, Night of the Black on the other. You're going to chop your income in half. <laughs> I'm like, fair enough. So I, I split them apart. Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was a 99, 2000. That's when I feel like I kind of arrived at the world stage, if you will. And I mean, it's been remixed as well, kind of quite recently. Yeah, yeah. Dijon and... Steve Dollar, Honey yeah. Dijon, yeah. Yeah. Who's kind of... Before those remixes came about, who kind of... Was there a point where it went away and, and someone started playing it again? Or has it always been like... It's kind of just been... A, it's yeah. just simmering in the underground. It all, it's always just kind of there. Like, the, you know, every every few weeks or so, someone will send me a video, such and such played it, such and such played it. Uh, you know, this guy played Night at the Black. It, it's always something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the drums. It's the drums, I think. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's just the rhythm of it all. Yeah, it's just... Because yeah. you listen back to it now, 
it doesn't have the balls that my productions have now. But at the time, it was, you know, it sounded incredible. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jose Nunez. Yeah. I mean, can you tell us about kind of how you first got kind of involved? With I actually met Jose Nunez through a mutual friend. Him and I hit it off on a personal level. And we started a, a record label called Gossip Records back in the day with some other guy that was partners with it. Long story short, we started a record label and the record label was was distributed by Strictly Rhythm. So he's like, I want to start a label. This was around 96, 97. Harry, I love what you do. Let's do a label. You know, at the time, I was a young kid. I was, what, 20, whatever? I'm like, fuck it, let's do it. You don't think, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's just, oh, an opportunity. Every opportunity was, was, you took everything you could. So the way the first three or four or five releases came about, it was just bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. And the rise was quick. You know, we, we put out, what did we do? We did the Constipated Monkeys first, then the, 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 what's her face? It was a Jocelyn Brown record. Oh, the Minister's Still Funk. No, before yeah. that. It was, um, anyway, we could Google yeah. all this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just bomb after bomb after bomb after yeah. bomb. And the next thing you know, we're going on tour. And, and that's the first time I came to Europe. Yeah. In 97, was on the heels of what we were doing with Subliminal. And, you know, let's say, I think, I don't remember exactly where in 1997 the first release came out. But by October, I was playing the Ministry of Sound in London. Elephant and Castle, <laughs> for those that don't know where it is. And we were doing shows in Germany and the whole tours, and I've been touring since. I mean, was that kind of daunting? I suppose, you know, you say you're a young kid, and yeah, I don't know what the reputation that the ministry would have had like in the US. We knew about it just through the, we knew about it through the, through the trade pub, through the magazines. Yeah. To hear about it and to be in the booth mm. with the power of that system and the people in front of you, was life-changing man it really was yeah and i remember i don't know if it was the first or second time i played the ministry but i took the needle off the wrong record we've all been there and i remember going Zoop. i was like shit and they had to tape delay back then so what did i do i went Zoop, whoosh, 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 and everyone went crazy so i'm like shit what do i play now so it, they, it delayed enough for me to figure out what to put on next and the place went nuts it was a great experience. All man. meant to be. Yeah, All yeah. Meant to be. Yeah. And um, at that stage, were there what? What were the major differences between a kind of UK crowd or a European crowd compared to kind of a US? Well, that here's the deal: is that prior to that, as far as me DJing in the states, I only DJed in New Jersey, yeah. a couple of new 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 York spots, but then, so let's see, so this was let's say ninety five, ninety six. The only other places I ever played were in Toronto and Los Angeles. And they were nothing like the Ministry of Sound. So it was like, it was very, um, it was eye-opening, it was scary, it was fun, it was amazing. It was, everything just <laughs> wrapped up into one, you know, yeah. funky package. Yeah. And I remember seeing Simon, I remember Simon would come when we would do it because we had a residency. Simon Dummer, I would see him always up top, just leaned over and watching and listening and like this. Every single time. He waited, hey, Simon. Because <laughs> at the time he was running AMPM, so mm -hmm. he was always there. Yeah. Um, how do you, what's your preference in terms of, terms of producing material? Do you, do you prefer to sometimes work solo? Do you think like more, more well, better than one? 
It depends. Yeah. I think um, if we're going to keep it real, strategically, it's good to to uh, it's good to collaborate with people. Now, that's not the only reason why you do it, but that could be a motivator, and I'm just being honest. Ultimately, what we want to do is make great music, whether it be by myself or whether it be, you know, going out of my comfort zone and working with someone that I admire and I respect but has nothing to do with my sound or so I think. And kind of that rub, is, is it creates really cool stuff. For example, like I was just in talks with... Um, with Josh Wink and him and I have been friends for a long time and we've always said ah we gotta get in the studio blah 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 so finally we're getting we're we're, we're gonna set up some studio time with me and Josh which is incredible because he comes from a although he 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 does what I do and I do some acid stuff and techno stuff as well but to, I'm curious to see what's gonna happen when we bring those minds together and really see what happens I'm excited about it you know so Collaborations excite me for that reason, because you don't know what the fuck you're gonna get. Um, but I also love working alone. I love working in my, you know, in my in my slippers at home, in my pajamas. You know what I mean? Just home. I really love working in my studio because I know the sound. I know that what I'm hearing on my speakers is gonna translate. But I also like taking myself out of my comfort zone so I can learn as an artist. Ultimately, that's what we want to do. Yeah, just progress. Just progress, you know. I mean, I love those moments, like, for me, as just a fan of house music and, you know, club music and record, crate digger and whatever, and seeing these collaborations come up and, you know, the the moment we see, like, your name and Josh Wink together. Yeah. But I, I believe that, you know, it's good to work, you know, remotely, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say if I do a collab with DJ, whatever, and he sends me stems, I send them back. That's cool, but there's nothing like being in the room. There's nothing like being in that room. You can't compare it. It's like with this podcast, you know, so many people are like, oh, can we just do it over Skype? It's not the same. You don't have the, you're not sharing the same air. No. You know what I mean? No, it's much better. Um, I want to talk about vocalists. Vocalists. Yeah. I mean, you've worked with... What are those? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Legends like Robert Owens. Yeah. A few times. Mm -hmm. uh, Jocelyn Brown. I mean, when you're working with those guys... What's your kind of flow in the studio? Do you get those guys in, or do you do they send no, you? No, no, no. We tracks? get them in. Yeah, we yeah, get them yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you said Robert Owens, right? So I had the track. So the track is called "I Go Back." Yeah. Well, it wasn't named at the time, but I knew it had Chicago written all over it. It had this, you know, the, the baseline yeah. sensibility of, of of a Chicago record of like a Larry Heard kind of thing. So I said, "We got to get Robert Owens on this." So my management at the time reached out to him. And he flew in to my house. He flew into the States. And, um, you know, I picked him up at the airport. We grabbed something to eat. We go to the house. He heard the track already. But he's like, play the track for me. So he's got it playing. And he's like, I keep hearing this hook. I don't know. He's like, I don't know if you're going to like it. I'm like, let me hear it. And he's like, okay. I go back, way back, way back. I'm like, let's do it. That's literally how it happened. Yeah. I mean, we were maybe in the studio for three hours. Working for three hours, and we just hung out and, you know, bugged the fuck out, but it's, you know, I love working with people that I trust, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't have to hold anybody's hand, you know, you do have to steer the ship sometimes, because you're the producer, and what I, what I, ultimately what I like to do is be super efficient, 
I'm not the kind of producer that likes to have 32 unused tracks. That would drive me fucking bananas. I, I, I don't like to see it in my site. Maybe because I have ADD or whatever, but it just drives me nuts. So it was real fluid and real, real um, concise how we did that session. And again, that record just took off. You know, Josh Wink is like, can I remix it? Masters I Wear, can I remix it? Everyone just wanted a remix. I'm like, fuck yeah, go for it, guys. Let's go. And the record did real well. And I'll forever have my name associated with Robert Owens, which is the voice of house music. Definitely. Undeniable. Undeniable, yeah. yeah, That voice. And Jocelyn Brown is... She's a diva. It's fucking unbelievable, man. The power of that woman's voice is just... It's amazing, man. And that... So, referring to the Ministers de la Funk record... So Jose had the sample of it's called a song called Que Tal America, and I, I heard that the first time only a few months. And ago. you almost crashed. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> literally. Like, yeah, like it came in a restaurant. And I was like, "What the? This is." Yeah. Yeah. So I walked in the studio and Jose's like, "Yo, check this out." I'm like, "Yo, that's dope." So I'm like, "Let me redo the drums, or the drums are whack." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, those are just fucking, those are just whatever. They're they're you know um, demo drums." I'm like, "All right, cool." So I did the drums, and then I remember he got this guy called Benny Diggs, which at the time, he was a big session guy. He was like a vocal arranger and a vocal producer. And he came in with, um, I remember, I think it was Lisa Fisher, Kim Mizell, and, and another. These are like super famous background girls. You know, Luther Vandross, the whole thing. We originally laid down the hook. You know, I did falsetto, and I think Dwayne Harden wrote, Dwayne Harden wrote on that record as well. And then we had the A-team come in and do the vocals properly, and then Jocelyn came in. And if you hear her ad-lib in, that, in the track towards the last third of it, yeah. that's one take. And I remember we were behind the console, we were just like, holy fucking shit. We knew it was just, the Holy Spirit was all up in that place. And we just let her do her thing, and it was, you know, what you hear is that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of really produced and arranged around her vocal performance. We didn't do a lot of chopping of her. It's all live. <laughs> yeah. Incredible power. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that track, still hearing that track out now. Yeah. Is, yeah it still yeah. does the business. And to hear from people, like, you know, you're on the road and you hear from people, they pull you to the side. They're like, you know, just to let you know, that record saved my life. I'm like, wow, the power of music. Yeah. You know, people that are on the ledge and, and, you know, they hear a lyric of something that you're a part of and, you know, keep some breathing. There's yeah. a big responsibility in making music, if you think about it. There could be. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I mean, people... Because it, it soundtracks people's lives, it yeah. has it's so intrinsic to the moments that For people sure. hold dear. And, For yeah, sure. There can be things that could be the most random track that means so much to people. For sure. And it could be a love-hate thing, too. Like, I hate the fact that every time I hear this song, it reminds me of this. But you can't get rid of it. It's no. it's there. Yeah. You know. It's not going to go away. It's you? never going to go no. away. Like, a song like that for me is, you know, not to be Debbie Donner. I was a kid anyway. But when my, grandmother pa- when my grandmother passed away, there's a song by, um, oh, the name's going to escape me, George Benson. There's a George Benson song that came out, and every time I hear that song, it reminds me when my grandma died. I'm like, great. So I always associate that song with when my when my grandmother passed away. Anyway, the power of music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you say, how are you when people come up to you and are like, oh, this track means so much to me? Yeah. Are you kind of like, is it a bit weird? Or I'm not good with compliments. <laughs> you know, I, you know I'm, I'm thankful, but I'm not, I don't know how to react. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you're welcome. I don't, what do you say? You know what I mean? How do you react? You know, yeah. it's always good to, it's always good to to hear that your music has touched someone in a positive way. Not to sound cliche and corny, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You recently um, worked with Danny Tanaglia mm. on his first solo material in over a decade. I was so glad yeah. to be a part of that. I mean, yeah. How was that? I mean, <clears> was it don't turn you back on. Don't turn your back on hot creations. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've known of Danny since, you know, the dawn of my career. Yeah. He supported my music early on in my career. So I hold I hold him in high regard. And he's become, the last couple of years, he's become a buddy. We text back and forth. We send silly memes. We send gross stuff, blah, 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 whatever. So for him to to um, to trust me, to help him finish the, the, the track and get it to where he wanted it, where he heard it, was just amazing. Danny's like, would you mind? I'm like, Danny, come on, bro. Whatever you need, I got you, man. He's like, it's almost there. I just need that extra. I'm like, whatever the fuck you need. And he's like, you're going to remix this record. I'm like, if that's what you want, that's what's going to happen. He <laughs> <laughs> does say no. Yeah, I don't say no to Danny. <laughs> so, yeah, so I remixed it. And it's not easy to remix those kind of records, you know what I mean? Because you know the hype behind it. You know the fact that this is his first single in a long time and you want to you want to do you but and you and you want to respect the original so and Danny was cool he's like listen I'm not signing this to them if you're not part of it that says a lot about somebody yeah. you know what I mean yeah. you know he's his word he's a cool guy well, I did a party with him last summer and they sent me the flyer it was a rooftop party in Brooklyn I'm like, my name was so small. I usually don't have a fucking problem with that. But Danny did. He's like, this is not going to happen like this. He's like, hang tight. Within a couple hours, they sent the flyer back, and my name was almost as big as his. I'm like, you didn't have to do that. He's like, yes, I did, Harry. This is bullshit, dude. You've been doing this for how long? Come on. I was like, okay. That says a lot about somebody's character. Those are the kind of people that, that I like to surround myself with. You know? No ego. You don't have an ego, just it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I mean, before you kind of worked with him on that track, had you already got kind of a relationship with him? or Just as, you know, hi, bye, hey, what's up, yeah, oh, thanks yeah. for this, thanks for that. But you know what I mean? It was friendly, but we never sat shoulder to shoulder in the studio. So it was a good experience. Yeah. And he just got a new place in in, um, in Jersey. So him and I are going to be getting in the studio real soon. I'm excited about that. Look forward to hearing yeah. that. Because yeah, he has an ear like nobody. You ever heard him play classics? He's 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 my favorite selector. Him, Derek, you know, there's a few names up there, but he's inspiring. I like when I go hear a DJ. I like to go hear them and leave early because I can't stand the amount of ideas I have in my head that I got to go home and work. Yeah, and he's one of those. Him and Derek consistently. I mean, I I remember you talking about Danny. I saw his the last boiler room he did in Miami. I think it was at the Electric Pickle, and I heard it live, and that night I made two tracks. It just fucks you up, man. He was like, damn, what is this shit, man? And it just stays with you, yeah. you know? Yeah. I love that shit. And I love that kind of journey as well, where it can yeah. be kind of, you know, the most, the lightest of drums in like an old disco track from that era, and then like, you know, suddenly you find you in the darkest, like yeah. those tribal rhythms, yeah. it's like, how did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. Another guy that does it like that for me is Robert Hood. Mm. When he does his floor plan. I mean, I don't know. He manages to to just mix techno with disco. It's just unbelievable, man. Yeah. 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 He does he doesn't get the credit he deserves, man. Mm. In my opinion. Mm. He's an inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And what and what would you say that your kind of style is if you had to put a label on it? I have no idea. Bastard. Know. Bastard style. <laughs> no father. It's a mix, man. You know, it, I don't... I mean, when I started going to record stores, it was house, techno, disco, hip-hop. You know, it was those categories. Now you have a fucking thousand categories. I don't know what I fit in. I just do what I do, man. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, what did kind of, for me, encapsulate <laughs> completely your start and where you are at now, I suppose, was last year, in 2019, you did yeah. the Essential Mix. Yes. Um, how did that kind of come around what was getting the I mean it was about time to be honest yeah, yeah. and like how, how did that call come through and how did it make you feel and well it was amazing you know out. my my manager Ralph Moore he called me he's like yo guess what I'm like what <laughs> he's like you're doing the essential mix I'm like get the fuck out of here he's like yeah it was that simple you know I don't know I guess the timing was right and we I don't know it was it just worked out and I was so glad to be asked yeah. and excited to do it and I mean how did you kind of approach picking the tracks for that was it just same as if I was going to go play yeah. Yeah. yeah you know you get a little more eclectic because you know you have you have the, the space and room to do it you're not stressing out are they going to dance no because it's it's a different kind of it's a different um, it's a different gallery if you will so you're able to flex a couple different muscles that you don't normally think. Like, I like the way I started it with the, the Jean-Luc Ponty. I was going to say, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's the Jean-Luc Ponty track. Yeah. It's amazing. I yeah. Um, Which was cool. Yeah. And some Chemical Brothers in there. And yeah, like, yeah, Do you yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. good to be, like, eclectic in that way? I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just me. You know? And I'm in London talking to you, so I guess it worked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. It's a kid from Jersey. <laughs> it's always kind of been my thing, you know, because... When we started DJing, you you didn't just play one style or one tempo of music. You had to 
combine disco with hip-hop, with reggae, with house, with freestyle. That's the way it went. You have to keep people's attention. Yeah. And, and boonch, boonch, boonch. <laughs> for three hours just wouldn't work back then. No, I, I think having that kind of change of pace, the change of colour yeah. in the night, you know, with different rhythms and stuff, it's, it's better than just hearing yeah. relentless. That's why I like playing extended sets, which I don't do often, sadly. Because you get to, you know, you get to play different. You got more room to kind of spread out. Yeah. How long are you playing for thing? tonight? Hour and a half. Okay. Hour and a half. And what's your kind of perfect set? Knock them in the fucking set? head. Beat them down. That's what it's going to be. A old-fashioned Harry beat down. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Um, and so and what's the kind of perfect, you say, extended sets of good? Well, like five hours. Field, five hours. Five hours is great. Yeah. Yeah. You get an hour in the front to just figure them out and play different cool stuff. It's fun. I like playing longer sets. It has to make sense, though. Yeah. It has to be the right crowd. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just going to beat them over the head for five hours. That's not fun. You no, know? Yeah, no one wants that. Yeah. I remember reading a few years ago, kind of you'd send me almost like lost faith a bit with the house music scene about the situation and the state that it was in in terms of music yeah just the, you know the whole EDM thing just clouded clouded my vision yeah fucked me up I'm like what's going on here yeah. you know what I mean and are you kind of proud and re-energized about where we are currently oh with 100% sure man I mean just the fact that I look f like I look forward to getting my kids to school, school as fast as possible so I can come back and work in the studio because I have something to say you know what I mean it's like I have all these ideas, and I want to get them out. It's that simple for me, you know. And then, like I believe, I believe in in um, finding the balance between making music and while you're making music, figuring out what the home is going to be. So there are those moments when you just make music to make music for art's sake. Fuck all who cares what they think about it. It may never see the light of day, and that's fine because that to me is like batting practice. You know what I mean? But then you have to be smart about what you're doing. Is it relevant? It has to be relevant. Is it going to be placed on a label that's going to, you know, move, have you move forward as an artist? So those are the things that I think about. But ultimately, what I'm excited about is that I'm on a creative search, you know. And my approach is not that of a veteran. Although I am, technically speaking, that's never been my approach. Um, I'm still that kid trying to get that idea out. I'm still that producer trying to trying to um, make audible my first experience when I went to a nightclub and felt the music, the bass spins. That's kind of my my uh, my mo, if you will. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, or am I, totally. Did I just completely... No, 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 no. I mean, I, I always just nod because sometimes I listen back and all you can hear me is going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you most excited about for the future? I mean, because, you know, there was, I suppose there was a lull with the EDM thing and now it's like, it, feel, it feels like house music has found its funky bone again, yeah, if you will. for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you think that's good for the future? What are you most excited about? Are you working on anything? I think what I'm, what I'm most excited about, for once in my career, I have a really solid team behind me. Um, before, it was just me going off and just fucking creating all, like, a lot of music. 
And just in my mind, everything I made had to have a home. So now it seems like, although I am working less, I'm making less music. I'm also being smarter about what I'm making and strategic where I've never had a strategy. And now, you know, 40, whatever years old. And I finally have a proper team behind me helping me, you know, steer and this and that. That's exciting for me because I know that it's not just on my shoulders. You know, I have people that I can bounce back and forth with and come up with the best solution. And most importantly, the creative juices are flowing, man. Without that, we don't got nothing, man. Yeah. You know? Is it a scary thought? That, has there ever been a, a moment where you kind of sit? No. Like, well, yes. But my approach has changed on that. Now I realize that it's, you know, I equate it to surfing. You're not going to catch every wave, man. But with the, when you do catch that nice wave, it's going to take you. And then you get back and then you paddle back out. You wait for the next one. So as before, I would panic. Where's the wave? Where's the wave? Where's the wave? There's no wave coming. That's it. I'm done. There's no more. I'm out of ideas. And then out of nowhere, you look out in the horizon and here comes a wave. So I know to trust that there will be a wave coming. And who's out there at the moment that's kind of inspiring you? I think what, someone that, that's kind of really inspiring me is someone like Enmi. Mm-hmm. I like that deep stuff he does, man. It's really, really cool. There's not anything that, that... Everything he makes I love. I don't play everything he makes because some of it's a little too sleepy for me. But I appreciate the production and his approach to it and his choice of sounds. Like that Rampa record. Mm-hmm. The terrace, that shit's unbelievable, man. He got away with using a real EDM sound. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he just created a masterpiece. That's a masterpiece to me. Yeah. Those kind of records inspire me, man. I can't say there's too many people now that I listen to. I'm like, oh my God, how did they do that? No, I mean, it's sadly we kind of live in a culture where it's become very copy paste. So the ones that really put their heart and soul into it, you could hear. And Rampa's one of them, for sure. And, that's and, and me. <laughs> yeah. No, not and me. I'm saying the artist and oh, me. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be clear on that. <laughs> cool. Um, right. I mean, we're kind of getting to the point where we like to talk about the tracks for our oh. playlist. You know, we always ask our guests to pick five tracks based on themes for our house culture playlist right. on Spotify. Um, we always ask for a catalyst. We've already talked about Todd Terry. Bango, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as we go through each one of these five, we just get a little, <clears throat> a little background and kind of what what the tracks mean to you. And when someone mentions that track, or you hear it, where it where it takes you in yeah, your yeah. mind. Um, is there anything more to add for Todd Terry Bango? I mean, it's just a good time. Back? It's a yeah. good time, and you know, as a teenager, you know, you start discovering girls and the party, and in the car, your buddy's playing the track in the car. You're going to the club, blah blah blah. It's just a. It, it reminds me of a good time in my life. You know what I mean? No fucking stress. You had like five dollars in your pocket, buy a pack of smokes and a beer, and you're 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 good for the night. You know what I mean? It was a good time in my life. You know, and um, Todd did a lot of important stuff at that time, man. He was just. That's why I call him the God. And I tell him all the time. I give him props every single time I can because. Without Todd Terry, I wouldn't be here sitting here talking to you. Or, or Louis Vega, you know what I mean? And speaking of a Louis, but not Louis Vega, Lil Louis. Your Lil Louis, French Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Where does that take you when you hear that? That takes me to a dance that my brother and I were DJing at this place called St. Pius. It was a Catholic high school. 
And our, do, you're familiar with the record? Yeah. You know, when it breaks down and she yeah. starts moaning? <laughs> so picture a gang of nuns running up to the DJ setup. It wasn't even a booth. And saying, you guys need to shut that off right now. Because, <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that it broke down to yeah. a lady having a, you know, a good time. So that record always reminds me of that, and I'll never forget it. And plus, the record's just dope, man. Oh, man, yeah. It sounds, you know, cliche, but it sounds like it was made today. Yeah, yeah. You know? When we spoke to Terry Fowler, he talked about that as well, and he said that he played it in, like, Italy recently, and when it all breaks down and slows down, everyone's running over to the booth thinking that he was, like, slowing it down, yeah. and they thought he was doing this crazy I never thing. let it get to that point. I don't play that part. Yeah. Because I, I think a whole group of nuns are going to run up at me. I think I'm scarred for life. <laughs> <laughs> I've had an excruciating car journey with my parents with that coming on the radio. Oh my, like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That's like when my dad took me to see an officer and a gentleman when I was like 10 years old. I'm like, there's titties. What are you doing, Dad? I can't be seeing this stuff. He didn't know. He's like, I didn't know. Sorry. He was like, well, enjoy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the sunsetter for you? Um, uh, cool in the Gang. Summer Madness. Yeah. That record just kind of, it just, it's just relaxed. It's like you smoked half a joint. It's just so relaxing, you know what I mean? You could almost picture the colors on the water, you know? And they're from Jersey, so I got to give Jersey props on that one. <laughs> cool in the gang. Cool in the gang. Um, and a tearjerker. Um, this song always gets me, and it's a little, it's an odd one in the sense that, you know, a big rough guy like me would listen to something like this, but Bonnie Raitt. It's called I Can't Make You Love Me. That song is, she paints a picture, man. Mm. You know? And it, it's a tearjerker. It, it, it gets me every time. I got to walk around with Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the last tune is the end of the night. I got to give it to Marshall Jefferson, man. You know, the house music anthem. Mm. I got to give it to him. Yeah. It's yeah. just a good way to end the party. I've certainly End it on a high. Yeah. I've been in nights recently where I've heard probably three, four different versions of that. It's, really? Yeah. It's nothing like the original? No. Nothing like the OG. I mean, they did a good job with the remixes, but my ears are tuned to the original. You know, those 707 drums? Yeah, yeah for sure. And have you, um, have you seen Marshall and kind of... I see Marshall. Every time I go to ADE, I run into Marshall and we sit and we have a, a coffee or a drink or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's still at it, man. I mean, he's still at it. Yeah. Always good to run into him. He always has good stories. And I always have a slew of questions for him. I'm sure I annoy him, but the only que- the only dumb question is the one you don't ask, so I'm going to keep asking. I love learning, man. And especially especially if you can hear it from the horse's mouth, dude. Come on, dude. It's like, you know, a lot of times we wait for these people to be gone, and I should have asked him such yeah. and such. You know, I, yeah. you know, so. And our final question we always ask is, Obviously, we are house culture, and you are part of the house culture. Right. And um, what does kind of this scene mean to you, and what do you think you've it's given to your life? Wow. I mean, I can honestly say that I've never worked a day in my life. You know, I did work before I started making music, but when I decided to make music my life, or when it would pick me, I don't know if I picked it or it picked me. Regardless, I've never worked a day in my life. The work is getting on planes and this and that, but the fact that I could provide for myself, my wife, my kids, 
by making music, by doing something that I love and not having to punch in or be on the bus or a train and say, I got to go to fucking work for eight hours. I can't stand this shit. When's it Friday? When's Friday coming? You know, that's such a blessing, man. And I I think it's going to add years to my life, I hope, because I love what I do, man. You know, every day, yeah, it is daunting that sometimes you sit in front of a blank canvas, but you know that you, you, you have belief in yourself, belief in your skill set, and you know the wave is going to come and it's going to take you to where you need to go. It's a perfect place to end, I think. Yeah. Picture the wave and the water. I think that's wind. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> cool, man. No, it's perfect. It's absolutely great. Amazing. Bang that was on. fun. House Culture. How cool is Harry, right? What an absolute legend, a real pleasure to sit down with. I must thank him personally for finding the time to fit us in before his gig that evening back in February. Feels like a lifetime ago in a completely different world, but I hope some of you were reminded in that chat just how important this scene is to us all. Harry did mention Josh Wink in there, and you can pick up Josh's reinterpretation of one of Harry's latest tracks, Control, on Bambossa Records from all the usual outlets. Also hot off the press are a whole bunch of remixes of Harry's anthematic collaboration with Vice. Where do we go? Check those out if you can as well. And of course, Harry's essential mix is, yes, an essential listen, which you can find on SoundCloud. Comes highly recommended. And if you want to add some more sick beats to those recommendations, you can find all of the tracks that Harry picked for our perfect playlist on Spotify. Just open up your player, search for House Culture Perfect Playlist, you'll be presented with a plethora of tunes that feature sounds from every corner of this thing we call house all chosen by our podcast guests past and present once you've followed the perfect playlist on spotify please support this podcast by loving liking tweeting sharing and by leaving us a rating or a review on apple this is really important and will help us to continue to create these episodes that we hope you love listening to they could also get you a shout out on a future one as well this time the lucky shout out goes to Alex Hobbs who got in touch on Instagram to tell us that he thinks the podcast is class and he is 100% subscribed to us so that he doesn't miss out on any of the exciting guests we have coming up there are quite a few let me tell you any more comments can be made by hitting up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or following the hashtag truehouseculture this way you'll be kept connected to other house music lovers from across the world and finally if you want to reach out to me matt rouse you can do it directly on instagram at dj matt rouse thanks for listening stay safe see you next time house culture even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient 
which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.